You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We do praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you that you have revealed your grace, your mercy, your kindness and love to us in and through the person of Jesus. And we praise you that we have the word of God, which bears witness to him. And we pray that you would help us now, that you would illumine the reading and preaching of your word, that we could see Jesus clearly and the hope that he offers us so that we would walk away not the same, but that we would walk away responding to your word with obedience and with love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church family. Great to see all of you here. Um, As you've already heard, this is Pentecost Sunday, so the seven weeks of Easter are over, uh, and we're now at the pinnacle, the the ending of the church year. We celebrate today the the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives. He rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven, and he gives the gift of the Spirit to his church. You know, we've been in this series that we're calling Our Resurrection Hope, and even though um, we haven't been explicitly talking about the Holy Spirit throughout the series, at the same time, we've been implicitly talking about him the entire time, because you could never have a relationship with the risen Christ. You could never experience the life-changing power of God in your life. You could never participate and experience the, the future hope of the new creation were it not for the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the one who connects us to the risen Jesus. If the risen Jesus is like the river of life that is flowing and rushing with life-giving waters, The Spirit is like the tributary of the pipeline that connects the risen Jesus and all of his power into our everyday lives. And so the Spirit is who makes all of this possible. Uh, If you've not been with us, we've been talking about how the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It's not just about the forgiveness of our sins or life after death, but it's truly about um, the transformation of everything. And so today, just got two more messages left in this series, Um, and today we're talking about... um, hope for our labor, hope for our labor. And so to hear um, a script, the scripture reading today is from Isaiah chapter 65, um, and we're going to hear from um, the Vias as they read to us. So let's hear now. Verses 17 through 25. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell of them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. 
The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This This is is the the word word of the Lord. Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a kid, our family would go to the beach every year, just like many of your families do. And one of the things that we did at the beach, the particular beach that we went to, had a sand sculpture contest um, every year. And um, I come from a long line of tryhards and competitive overachievers. Um, And so every year, our family would attempt to win the sand sculpture contest. And so we would spend months, sometimes even a year, literally, um, planning for the sculpture that we were going to build. Uh, we would spend, you know, weeks, like, with diagrams out on the table. You know, my dad would, like, be whiteboarding, you know, the thing. Uh, and then, like, the morning of, we'd wake up early and eat a big breakfast and get ready. And we'd go out on the beach. We'd be working for hours, you know, with these tools and sculpting and sanding and shaping and smoothing and all of this. And then, you know, often we would, we would win, at least runner-up or something. But the next day, and I just remember this so vividly as a child, the next day, come out on the beach, and nothing was there. Gone. Not a trace, not a dent, not a dimple in the sand, nothing. And especially as the melancholic and philosophical teenager that I was, I remember thinking to myself, how pointless, how pointless, all that work for nothing. We're talking today about work. We're talking about labor, and I want you to understand that when I say work, when I say labor today, I'm not talking just about like a nine-to-five job. Many of us have nine-to-five jobs, but many of us don't. I want, when I say the word work or labor, I want you to understand it in the broadest term, broadest definition possible, that when I say work, what I mean is this, any way that we seek to make a meaningful impact in the world, any way that we seek to make a meaningful impact in the world. And that can include everyone. That can include children, that can include elderly, that can include everyone in between. Raise your hand if you would like to make a meaningful impact in the world. Okay, everybody here, okay? So we all want to make a meaningful impact um, in the world. It's anything that we give our effort to, anything that we do that is constructive and generative, whether as employees or parents or neighbors or citizens or church members, any way that we seek to contribute to others or the community or the world, That's what we're talking about today, our work, our labor. What does the resurrection have to say about that? Anything? Yes. I want to build a case from the scriptures today that without the resurrection, all of our labor is pointless. That without the resurrection of Jesus, all of our effort, all of our labor, all of our attempts to meaningfully contribute and make an impact in the world are truly in vain, like building a sandcastle that just gets washed away. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And he is not just promising you a hopeful future. He is promising you a renewed and resurrected body in a renewed and resurrected world, which means that everything that we do matters. Our work is not in vain. We're not just building sandcastles that will get washed away, friends. God is building a cathedral that will endure forever, and he invites us to be a part of that beautiful work. So here's what we're going to do today. I want to unpack sort of a theology of work, if you will, a theology of labor, um, and then we're going to apply that 
in a couple of different ways in our lives, okay? So first, let's, let's talk about the story of human labor, the story of human labor from creation to new creation. So let's, let's go back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, just for a moment. We see that in the beginning, and you guys might remember this, kids, you might even remember this too, that God creates the world, and he creates everything in the world. He creates day and night and land and water and trees and vegetation and mountains and deserts and aardvarks and antelopes, right? He makes, he makes all of it, and after everything that he makes, he says that it is what? What does he say that it is? Good, right. He says it's good. He loves it. He loves creation. And then at the very pinnacle of his creation, he creates man and he creates woman. He creates humanity. And in this case, he doesn't just say it's good. He says it is what? Very good. Very good. And he actually then gives human beings something to do in his good creation. So Genesis 1.26 says this, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and the wind and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And I want you to know that the word rule there in the Hebrew does not mean dominate, it means cultivate, it means steward, take care of. And we see that also reflected in Genesis 2, where God says this, he says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So what we see something is really interesting in these first two chapters, we see that God creates the world, the stuff, and then he invites human beings to do something with the stuff, right? It's like he makes the canvas, and then he invites the human beings to paint. Or, or he makes the, the, the open meadow, and he invites humans to plant a garden. Or he creates the raw materials, and he invites humans to create something out of those materials. So whether it's making bread out of wheat, or making civilizations out of human connections, or making children literally out of the act of love, Humans are inherently co-creators with God, made by him to help shape his good world. So here's the, the lesson here. That a key way that we image God, that we, re, that we reflect him, is to make meaningful impact on the world for the sake of others to the glory of God. That's what it means to be human, to make a meaningful impact in shaping the world for the love of others, for the love of God. Are you with me on that? Okay, that's creation. Now, let's jump all the way to the, to the end, to new creation, the end of the story. Now, one of the key points of this whole series, if you've not been here, is that Jesus' resurrection shows us something very important about our futures, that Jesus did not come to rescue us from our bodies or rescue us from the world, but he came for the redemption of our bodies and the redemption of our world. We are not looking forward to some disembodied heaven, but the new heavens and the new earth, when God will remake the world and remake all things. So our future is an embodied life with bodies, using our bodies in the new creation. Okay, you'll hear me on that? The Bible gives pictures of what that new creation will be like, and it is a place that includes, guess what? Work, human labor. You might be disappointed about that, but let me, let, me, let me tell you. Let me show you this. So Isaiah 65, the passage that we just read, that, that Chipper and Mirabel read, one of the most beautiful pictures we have of the new creation. And what do we see in that picture? We see people building stuff. We see building houses, creating cities and civilizations, planting vineyards, enjoying the fruit of their labor. 
Presumably there will be good red wine in the new creation, right? The fruit of their labor. It will be a place of delight and beauty and creativity. It will be a place that is absent of strife and futility and exploitation and injustice. When it, and I love this, is verse 23, it says, when it comes to the work of our hands in the new creation, it will be a place where, it says in verse 23, we will not labor in vain. We'll work, but we will not labor in vain. The same picture in, in, in the book of Revelation, right? Notice the picture that God gives us at the end of all things is not a place in the clouds where we are strumming harps, right? Nor is it a garden. It's not a return to Eden where we're just laying on our backs in the grass and contemplating religious ideas. No, what is it? What is the new creation? A city. A city which is the ultimate product of human innovation and creativity. And in that city, this is so interesting, in verse 23, it says, the city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. It's lamp. The lamb is the lamp. And then listen to this. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Isn't that amazing? It says that the kings, that, that the splendor of the nation's creative efforts and labor will actually be brought into the city and the new creation. Our work, our, our, our labor, our meaningful impact in the world is a key part of our promised future. So that's the, the beginning and the end, that we were made to meaningfully impact creation and that we will forever be using our hands and our bodies to make meaningful impact in the world. Isn't that, isn't that amazing, friends? Creation and new creation. So where does that leave us now in the middle? Well, remember the chart that we've been looking at every week. This chart that you have, I'm sure, memorized by now in love. We are there. We're here in the middle between the already and the not yet. So what that means on the one hand is that we still live in the old world of sin. And so when it comes to our work and our labor, we all suffer from Adam's curse, right? Genesis 3, when God says, cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil, you will eat of it. So much of our work feels like painful toil, Every once in a while, you feel like you're making a difference. Every once in a while, you feel like you're really accomplishing something. But many times, we feel like our work is boring or discouraging or even meaningless. You work hard on something, and it comes to nothing. It falls apart. You know, you work wisely as a parent only to see your kid make terrible choices. Instead of fruitful and, and fulfilling, our work often feels pointless and fruitless instead of work being a way to love God and love others. Human work is often selfish and exploitative and even causes harm and injustice to others. See, this is the not yet world that we live in. We're still stuck in the old creation. And yet, on the other hand, Christians believe that Jesus has come right there in the middle of history. He's died and risen from the dead, and therefore he's already begun the new creation project in the middle of the old. And though sin is not yet defeated and the curse is not yet lifted, Jesus has already risen, evil has already been defeated, and he has already started his work of new creation in this present old age, and we can, in union with Jesus, filled with the Spirit, already be a part of the new creation, even in the midst of the old. That's what we've been saying throughout this series. The resurrection is not just hope, for our future, that one day we will be in a place where we won't labor in vain, but it's also hope from the future in the present, that even now we can partner with Jesus in working with him 
for redemptive purposes, bringing about his new creation. You know, we spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 15 in this series. It's one of the most powerful chapters in the resurrection in the whole Bible. And I've always been really interested in the way that Paul ends the chapter, right? Because you would think, you might guess, that after this long chapter where he is making his case that your future is the resurrection of your body from the dead, just like Jesus is, that at the very end he would say, therefore, since this is your hope, you can just chill and wait around because you've got a great future in store, right? You'd think that Paul would say that. But what does he say instead? Verse 58, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, because Jesus is risen, because your future is resurrection, here's what you do. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always, right now, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because, listen, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, our future resurrection changes our labor in the present. If you believe that you're just going to die and your body's going to rot and the world's going to burn up, then nothing you do matters. If you believe that you're just going to fly away to some heaven someday and the world is going to burn up, nothing you do actually matters. But if you believe that your future is a resurrection and that God is going to raise your body and raise the work of your hands and raise the, work, the created world itself, then everything you do matters. Your work in the present moment as a parent, as a neighbor, as an employee, as a citizen, as a church member, all of this work, God, you can do in partnering with God as he is right now renewing all things. Nobody says this better than N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, one of my favorite theologians. This is kind of a long quote, but I just want you to listen, class, okay? Don't check your phones. Listen here as we read this very important quote. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that it's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown in the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due time part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter, one's fellow non-human Creatures, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. What does that mean? Does that mean we're going to be listening to Bach and Bono? you know, in the new creation? Does that mean that your, like, lovingly planted garden in your carefully crafted Excel spreadsheet is going to somehow be incorporated into the new creation? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The Bible's fuzzy about these things, although I am pretty sure that we will be listening to you two and eating country-style donuts in the new creation. But here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we are somehow bringing about God's kingdom that we're somehow, through our efforts and our labor, bringing God's new world. No, 
As Christians, Christians are those who rest in the finished work of Jesus. Jesus has done it all. He's died. He's risen. He is ascended. He will bring the kingdom, and we wait for that kingdom in hope. Yet, somehow, Scripture teaches that God joins us to his work, invites us into what he is doing, like you might invite your little child to load the dishwasher with you, though you are perfectly capable of doing it yourself. God invites us into his renewing work to contribute to his new creation, and he incorporates our labor through his spirit into his kingdom. Because of the resurrection, everything that you do in and through Christ matters. Isn't that good news? It's such good news. Let's just apply this in two ways, okay? First, our daily work. Unfortunately, I think many Christians still suffer from what I call vocational dualism in the church. We've talked a bit about Gnosticism or dualism in this series, which views the spirit and soul as good and the body and the material world as bad. And unfortunately, that Greek thinking has leaked into how we think about our, daily, our, our work in the church. That In the church, um, there's this often unspoken separation between what we do in the church on Sundays and what we do in the world during the week. So the stuff in church is spiritual, like singing and worshiping and serving. That's holy stuff that God cares about, whereas the stuff, the secular stuff during the week, like making money, going to school, cleaning your house, washing your clothes, you know, mowing your lawn, whatever, all that stuff is just like secular, and God doesn't really care about that stuff. And that, that dualism has then created what is sometimes called a, a ladder or a hierarchy of professions, so that professions that are in the spiritual realm, like being a pastor or being a full-time missionary, those are at the very top of most importance to God. And then underneath that, you have like maybe the helping professions, you know, like being a nurse or a doctor or a teacher. And then you have maybe like the service industry and then you keep working your way down and down and down until all the way down at the bottom, you've got like the lawyers and the people who work at Capital One, you know, right? <laughs> right down there at the bottom, they've pretty much backslid, right? <laughs> this idea that we all kind of have swimming around inside us unconsciously is a Gnostic heresy that has blown up by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead demonstrates that God joyfully affirms all creation and everything that humans give their hands to, to labor in his good world. All work done now for the glory of God and for the love of God and neighbor matters and can be a participation in God's new creation. I have a friend named Don who lives in Winston-Salem who runs a car dealership. Now, where does a car dealer fall on the ladder of holy work? I mean, maybe below Capital One, right? Like, where does a car dealer fall? Now, but Don is a follower of Jesus. And so Don, since he inherited this dealership from his father, has sought in very careful ways to ask, how can I bring foretastes of the kingdom of Jesus into selling cars? How can I build beauty and truth and justice into the work of selling cars. And so just one example of that, like he did, an, he did a serious data analysis of all of his car sales, and he discovered something shocking, that women and minorities were paying more for cars than everyone else. He was shocked by this. And so he decided, I gotta change this. This isn't right. And so what he did is he completely created a whole new pricing structure 
that is unique to his dealerships that sets a flat low rate on cars with no negotiation allowed for any of his salespeople. And this has affected equal opportunity pricing for every customer and has revolutionized his dealerships and made them the most sought after dealerships in the region. Don sees this as him just in a tiny way working towards giving foretaste, appetizers of the new world that is coming where work will be for the flourishing of every person. So the work of a teacher in the classroom or the chemist in the lab or the contractor on a job site or a parent in the home, a consultant in the boardroom, all of this work now in union with the risen Jesus for the love of God and neighbor, all of this matters and God incorporates into his new community. I'm pretty sure Don will run the car dealerships in the new kingdom. So, so that's our daily work. Second though, what about our, um, our church's mission? There's a lot of disagreement this, these days about what the church should be working on in the world, right? In fact, whole denominations and churches have divided. Should the church be focused on evangelism? Should the church focus on mercy and justice? There's lots of debate that have even, even blown up denominations about this. Well, this is painting with a very broad brush, but on the one hand of this debate, you have what I might call um, Gnostic gospel fundamentalism. This is the idea that nothing really matters in the current world. There's no real value to it. God's just gonna burn it all up. And the real business of the gospel is saving souls for a future heaven. Why polish brass on a sinking ship, right? That is an unbiblical revision of the gospel that denies the goodness of creation and denies the continued work of Jesus in this world through his spirit and the church. On the other side, you've got what I would call social gospel liberalism. This is an attitude that sees the main Christian task as building the kingdom here and now through social, political, and cultural revolution. It's up to us to bring the kingdom and to make the world right. This is also an unbiblical revision of the gospel that does not recognize the importance of spiritual rebirth and spiritual regeneration and the power of the spirit. And it is arrogant in believing that we are somehow responsible for bringing God's new world ourselves. And so what the resurrection of Jesus does, friends, is it clarifies our mission and helps us avoid both of these errors. Because on the one hand, the resurrection calls us to proclaim the good news. Jesus Christ is king and he's risen from the dead. Evil has defeated and a new world is coming. Would you repent and trust in him that you can be a part of his community? We proclaim that good news and invite all to trust in him. But at the same time, we also demonstrate what his kingdom is like, just like Jesus did. He never just preached. He demonstrated through his works of healing and liberation and setting free the oppressed. And this is why it's vital that it's the church we give ourselves to labor on behalf of the poor and the oppressed, that we work to help create a more just world and society, that we do the work of shalom in our communities, all that brings appetizers and foretastes of the new creation that's coming. This is why our missions budget, we allocate our giving, not just to evangelism, but to the work of compassion and justice, water well creation, microloans and agriculture, affordable housing and restorative justice, mental health and counseling. We are participating in God's new creation work and inviting people to trust Jesus so that they can be a part of it. What a beautiful mission God is on through Jesus and that we can be a part of it. So let me sum up, friends. Here's the good news. Christ is risen. And this is good news, not just for our salvation, not just for our forgiveness, but it is good news for our labor. 
We were created to make meaningful impact in the world. That's part of the why you're here. And in rising from the dead, God has affirmed that call on your life, that you're called to use your body to make an impact in the good created world. And that the future hope of the new earth that's coming means that your work matters, that every act of labor done in union with Jesus for the love of God and neighbor will last forever. Let me just close with a story. It's a story written by um, the famous writer J.R.R. Tolkien called Leaf by Niggle. Once there was a man named Niggle, and he was an artist, and a town paid him to paint a big fresco on the side of the town hall. Niggle had the picture of the fresco in his mind. He wanted it to be a tree, a beautiful tree with spreading branches. And so he began to work to paint this beautiful tree in his mind on the side of the city hall, but he just couldn't get it. He strived, and he labored, and he toiled, and he niggled, and he just couldn't get it right. And after years of working and laboring, trying to get this picture in his mind onto the wall, he only had one single beautiful leaf, and then he died. And for years, all that stood on that wall was just a single leaf, and no one hardly ever noticed it, and years later, they completely forgot about him altogether. But after death, Niggle is on a train, and he's riding the train to the new creation. And as he looks out the window, he sees something. He says, stop the train! And he jumps out the train, and he runs up the top of the hill, and before him stood the tree, his tree finished, its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind in a way that Niggle had so often only felt or guessed, but could just always fail to catch. And he gazed at the tree, and slowly he lifted his arms, and he opened them wide, and he said, it is a gift. Everybody is Niggle. Everybody wants to accomplish things. Everybody wants to make an impact. Everyone wants to make a difference. Everybody wants to be remembered. Nobody wants to be forgotten. And yet all of us, we struggle and strain. We labor and toil. Even our best days, our work is only partial and unfinished. How often we feel like our labor is wasted. We look at our work. We look at our efforts. We look at our parenting. We look at our struggles. And so often it just feels so futile like a sandcastle washed away on the sand. Jesus is risen. And because Jesus is risen, a whole new earth is coming. And so I promise you, brothers and sisters, every good endeavor, every work, every act of love, even the smallest and most unseen little leaf that you have labored to create, done in love of God and love of neighbor for God's glory, all of it matters forever. One day, you will see the tree. And everything you worked for will be fulfilled and finished by the God of grace who loves you. Christ is risen. Amen. Let's pray. What an amazing gift, Jesus, that you give to us, that you save us, you redeem us, you forgive us, and yet you also then invite us through you to become human again to contribute meaningfully to the world, to work um, even in this old creation through thorns and thistles, 
to work in such a way that is meaningful and that matters and that ultimately is eternally lasting. What a gift. We pray that as we come to this table now that we would taste your grace and you would invite us into it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.